0: fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies Welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We are the group that does that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennon.
1: Great to be here, Dan. I'm actually excited about this. I think you're on a roll for picking good movies for us, and I'm actually starting to catch a theme in the movies you like. Well, <laughs> oh, you mean like a personal theme? like what I, uh, Yeah, a like. personal theme for you. <laughs> no, that's
0: true. I don't mean to impose my will on you guys so much, but these are such fun movies to talk about, especially this one. But before we get to that, we have to get to our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week?
2: You know, I'm at this new corn maze concept. There's no, there's no corn cut down. You just kind of run away from drones while you're in the middle of an uncut cornfield. It's very strange,
0: but it seems kind of fun. That that's very odd. That seems like some advanced terraforming techniques if I had to take if I had to venture a guess. But we're going to get into that because we're talking about I Am Mother, which is a movie that I thought this was this was a, an incredible movie, Den, and I'm glad you liked it as well. And, and just, to, just a quick summary here, I Am Mother is about an AI-powered robot who is gestating the last vestiges of humanity inside an automated underground bunker. Uh, I know that's pretty broad in general, but uh, we'll get to some of the details in a minute. But I I think, you know, Denon, you brought this up to me and I think you're exactly right with this. This gives us an opportunity to talk about something we haven't really talked about before and that is underground bunkers these things are all around there's lots of talk of them now especially with this pandemic that's running around Uh, what do you think about underground bunkers
1: well i really feel there's kind of these three styles and i found it interesting in this movie there's the you're stuck in an underground bunker that nobody would want to live in because the apocalypse was completely unexpected and it's grungy and there's water dripping and rust everywhere um there's the really, really comfy 1950s underground bunker where you have your sofa, your couch, and your TV, and you're hanging out with shag carpeting because um, you're predicting the 60s. And, and then there's this one, which was like super high-tech, super clean, but oddly not very homey. Um, and and I, I, I really struggled with the level that clearly went into building this bunker. Where was the comfortable couch, Dan? That's what I wanted to know. Well, it was built for robots, by the way, Denon. But built for robots to raise a child, right? Where was the the fluffy sheep wallpaper? (laughs) Well, I'll
0: tell you that mother goes and she kind of docks into her little, you know, recliner, her little lazy boy, the
1: robot lazy boy. And I would say that maybe that's what robots believe is comfortable. That could be. That could be. But it is an interesting, the design of the inside of your fallout shelter fascinates me. And this movie, I thought, really brought that home.
2: I think this gives us a great insight into the robots that thinking the creature comforts are what make hu- is what makes humans evil and clearly <laughs> humans must be raised in a stark utilitarian world just like the robots are and then they'll be perfect just like the robots.
0: No, I think that's exactly right because they're trying to weed out the bad uh, the bad personality traits of humans, and by doing that, they want to make them more robotic in some ways, which I think is what you're getting at. And I, you know that you made a great reference there, Den. And lots of people right now are buying these extraordinary luxurious bunkers. I'm gonna put a link on the website. You just reminded me about that. Uh, it's it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a great one. Um, so let me ask you this: before we dive right into this, so we're talking about bunkers. How long do you guys think you could live in an underground bunker with just one other person before you made an attempt on their life or they made an attempt on yours then i'm gonna go with you first
1: well you know part of it depends on exactly how it's designed what creature comforts you have and there's an interesting theme here we're getting because this is really what vivarium was but above ground but they might have been underground for all we know right just two people having to survive with crazy other child um i think it's tough you know, there as as much as there's people I like to have just one person to relate to, um, I think would drive you crazy. And in this case, in this movie, the child has just one robot to relate to. And I'm impressed the child is as sane as she is. Um, that's I think one of the masterful pieces of this movie. Because personally, Dan, you said how long? I, I don't know. With the right entertainment, maybe a year. <laughs> <laughs> A year I before mean, you turn to murder, that would be it. Be well, they'd year. probably kill me first. Let's be honest. Okay. It can go either I'd way, drive, It could go. I'd probably drive them crazy long before they, they got to me.
2: <laughs> That's good. Um, what about you, Ben? I think it all depends on how many duplicates of the creature comforts we have. Like, are there two bathrooms or one bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, can, do we have two TVs? Can we watch different things? Like
0: that's a big one for me. I think that's really interesting. So the overlap is where that where that craziness gets in. Yeah. Uh, you
1: know, I think Ben's exactly right on that, Dan. I, I, I I'd up my estimate to much longer if there were multiple, you know, access to things.
0: Well, you know, what I think is kind of interesting about that is, is you know, we talk about shelters. I just want to quickly – you sent me down a rabbit hole here, Denon. And I just want to talk about something really quickly because you mentioned several different types of shelters. You know, we, we know about the radiation of fallout shelters, some people, you know, for a virus. But when, we're, when we think of these shelters in the United States, we think radiation. And, you know, I was just listening to a great podcast that talked about fallout shelters. And the idea when the government made a bunch of these fallout shelters in the 50s during the Cold War, the idea was – that in a couple of weeks you would come back out and life would be normal but if you start to look at the radioactive material right Iodine, 131, is the most common kind of result of a nuclear explosion, that's stuff that collects in your thyroid. The half-life is about 30 days, and the typical thing is about 10 to 20 half-lives before something is not dangerous, so iodine's no big deal, but you get up to plutonium, which was some of the fear in the most recent Fukushima uh, explosion, that has a half-life of 24,000 years, which means it wouldn't be safe for half a million years, so you go from like, hey, we'll get out in a few weeks, hey, we'll get out in a few years, maybe we could deal with that. And you. You'd be all right without any murders. Now, a half a million years—we're not going to live that long. But could you imagine your entire life underground? Which is exactly what we're talking about with this movie.
1: Yeah, and you know what, Dan? i, I really think uh, 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 this is where the design becomes so important. Is it roomy and airy? Is there a place with a big cavern um, where I can at least, you know, maybe have some fake sunlight and pretend to be outside? Or am I—or am I in a one-room? you know, fallout shelter that I built under my backyard. Um, you know, am I in this big, you know, because even if you're alone with one other person, if it's big enough and there's like that sense of outside, that that might help a lot, like creating a fake outside. And I kind of like they almost got there with this fallout shelter in this movie, and I am Mother. like there was a size to it. Lots of different rooms, lots of different places, not really a, a cavern and outside feel like I would have liked But it was closer to things I think you could live in for a long time. Well, there's a great movie.
0: Uh, it's ten. I think it's Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is which is just about this about a bunch of people living in a fallout shelter. Uh, you guys should check it out because the initial question that I asked gets answered very quickly. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a good one. And Dennett, and, and and I want to you know you, you we talked about Snowpiercer. You mentioned that life on a train that's kind of like a bunker traveling around the world. What do you think about the the two of those?
1: Well, in this one, I I, I really felt the. I am mother space was much bigger and nicer than the train. My gosh, the train is narrow and, and, and very confining. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know, Ben, if you get claustrophobic, but but I certainly feel like that the train would drive me nuts much sooner.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting because a train car definitely has a, a set of dimensions that are, are very, can be very confining and uncomfortable, whereas the bunker uh, does not. And it's interesting because the bunker is almost certainly smaller in total area than the train is but just the nature of the train in that it being really long it feels Way less open and way smaller, even though it's probably actually much bigger than the bunker is in this case.
0: That's interesting. You know, um, I think that, that you know most people don't think about that, but it's it's kind of that spaghettiization of you know when you get close to a black hole, matter turns into a big long string, right? <laughs> yeah. Like if you if you take your you know, your square footage and make it a line, it's not exactly as roomy as one you know one big square. You started with, yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, it's kind of you know, the real. other
1: thought I just had, Dan. It occurred to me. Now, bunkers for nuclear war had two purposes. One was so when the bombs went off, you were safe. So that's why they were sort of underground and hardened. But once the bombs are done exploding, or if you live somewhere where the bomb's not going to explode, but you just have to deal with the radiation, there's no reason not to have skylights. Hmm. And I think that really helps with the mental um, stress of being underground, right? You know, you can't go up and breathe the air. But you can make a, a skylight airtight in principle. I mean, the train had windows. Yeah. Now, I, what about gamma rays getting through that though? That doesn't seem. Well, safe. no, that no. like once the blast is over, I'm talking about, or okay. your blast is not there, right? You're not. The, the radiation that the things are releasing is not really gonna be coming through that skylight in a way that matters to you. I think. Not, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And
2: you could also, on the inside, have a nice thick, like lead panel that goes on the skylights during high radiation events, and then. Move it away once it's fine
1: Oh that's
0: interesting okay
1: yeah like, yeah like a, like a sports stadium yeah. dome a yeah, you know,
2: hurricane shutter but for fallout <laughs>
0: that's really interesting I like that uh,
2: but I, I think the you you know you mentioned the natural light earlier and this is a common theme in a lot of these like other like space travel movies and things like that where we as humans really need a room where to go to somewhere where it feels like a normal day outside to feel normal cuz that that's what we are we that's what our evolution has led us to is spending time outside and if we don't have that you know, we're going to go a little little nutto
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I mean, it's I, I do love the parallels to Vivarium. You mentioned them uh, really well, and is that this is really kind of the the opposite. It's like the other side of the coin, right? Like that's an entirely fake environment. But in some ways, that's almost more healthy than living underground, you know, without sunlight, even whether fake or not. Um, you know, I, Ben, you're, you're a fellow a fellow video game fan. This is kind of like the Fallout series, right? It made me think of that immediately where you're kind of living in this bunker and then you're suddenly let out, you know a couple generations down the line because as we see there are several generations of humans that kind of go through the bunker and and one of the things you know the other thing i really loved about this movie was it's, it's this almost vending machine like approach to human gestation. <laughs> I mean, you you, you know, they had this, uh, you know, um, uh, of cool, you know, cold storage where you'd pull out the embryo and they're all numbered and you'd stick it in this little slot and then this artificial womb would appear and it would, you know, raise a, a human baby in about 24 hours, I think it was. Uh, I, I thought this was just, this is just an incredible piece of science fiction.
1: It is. And it combines two things we discussed that I really want to hear Ben explain from the engineering side. Keeping things frozen, the embryos are all there. It's it's like that frozen stuff we would deal with at the end of life. You know, freezing people. Can you bring them back? And then fast growth. We've done fast growth clones, and this combined those. So right. interesting technology element here for the, our engineer to solve.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, well, it was it it raises some really big questions because those are not what we would typically call embryos either. Those were those were straight up like twelve to twenty week old fetuses. But Based on the size oh, wow. if, if you look at that oh, wow. the baby in the cold storage It's you know, it's maybe two four five inches long. That's that's like a 12 20 week old baby. That's not a That's not an embryo. That's not what we typically put in cold storage What we typically put in cold storage is like a blastocyst something that has you know eight to twelve cells not this mm. giant not this, you know almost fully developed human so I thought that yeah. on its own is really interesting because we have no way of keeping something that old alive in cold storage.
1: Well, I'm feeling very Han Solo-ish here. Maybe we need to combine <laughs> <laughs> carbonite freezing with uh, <laughs> embryo technology. It's not a bad idea. I mean, that was really w- w- was
0: crazy. And here's what was kind of funky to me. And, and it seemed like all of these embryos had a digital barcode on them and they all had an, a unique number. I feel like this was the, the, the robot's way of, of having genetic diversity in a way. I would imagine that there's some database where that embryo, they know exactly what the genetic makeup is and what the phenotype is, what it's going to look like fully formed. We didn't see really any of that. They kind of pick it randomly, but what do you think about that from, you know, Ben, I'm gonna ask you this because you know, from an organizational standpoint, don't you think that would be required if you were a robot trying to repopulate the earth or whatever they're doing?
2: Yeah, you would definitely want variation and different things. It, it, I'm, it, I'm really curious um, what the differences were between, you know, all these different, you know, they say there are 63,000 embryos in this bunker. Like, are all the boys the same? All the I, I doubt it. That doesn't seem right, because then what do you do after the first generation? If they're all clones, that's no good. You're going to have all sorts of problems. Yeah, it would be, be like the Spanish monarchy.
1: Yeah, I, I do. It is an interesting feature that it you know provides a really nice dramatic element that you see this classic picture of a fetus at a few weeks. Um, but but Ben's right. I, I like what you said, Dan. The organization makes a lot of sense, right? The robot preparing a whole bunch of different genetic variations of humans to pull out and raise as needed. Um, and in fact, I think the robot really is focused on the training part, mm. right? So the robot you know, probably wants genetic variation for safety. It obviously gets science and knows that they cannot be clones, but is probably not relying on the genetics to get the human it wants, given that it has such an intense training regime and uses the tests to determine whether they let the human live or not. So this purely is some sort of random organization just to keep track uh, of things, but it is interesting that they, you know, if, if I was the robot, as Ben said, the, the right way to do this technologically is to keep the true embryos and go from there. Now, maybe there's something to the fast cloning that you, you do it in these two steps, right? You, you figure out a way to freeze something this old, and then it's easier to fast grow it. I don't know. I mean, something, it seems to me almost like reproduction, human reproduction
0: has been completely turned into a technology, kind of, you know, similar to what we do with animals. When we breed animals, it seems like they've kind of taken the human race and turned them, you know, basically into a factory system.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it definitely looked like a factory. And I'm curious if how the robot, like, I I think what you said earlier about the robot was really testing its parenting skills way more than it was testing the the um the children or the gen the children genetically because I mean if you look at the the it it literally just used child one two and three so unless they were ranked on I mean maybe you know child one is the one it thinks has the best genetics but I don't know I think it's just it's going methodically through its its through its inventory of of children and and working till <laughs> yeah. it can thinks it's a good mother.
0: And I will say one thing they do mention, you know, when when the daughter comes back and they say, you can pick your brother, she gets to go in and she gets to actually pick out whichever embryo she wants, which would imply that whatever system they're going through them in is not so rigid that they can't kind of adjust it if they want to.
1: No, I think that's right. I think this is clearly, so it also brings in an interesting element of AI though, Dan, and artificial intelligence. And as Ben pointed out, it really struck me that at least in this sequence, the robot was only on child three. Mm-hmm. And if you looked at, oh, now I'm trying to remember, was it like 13,000 days or something we were at? It was at a weird- It's
2: 38 years after- Yeah, so,
1: it, so it's not that long, right? It's, oh. it's, so you haven't gone through many children that you've raised. And if you think about the way AI works, AI trains on large data sets. So I, I really was – this was the one technology element of the movie I was disappointed in. Uh, it would have been, would have been um, more disturbing, but if the AI had gone through, say, 100 children, that would have been more right. consistent with the AI learning how to parent the way it wanted. And and that's kind of, I mean, it's a sick, I hate talking about it this way, right? It's real machine learning is what you're saying. But that's the way AI and machine learning works, right? It runs on data sets. But that is consistent with all the embryos being there, right? The AI has made the decision, too hard to mess with the genetics and to trust it because a lot of what happens is learning. So I'm just going to pre-make all these babies and then just teach them one at a time and train my AI network to be the best mother I can. And once I have success in my training, then I do it on a real child.
2: I mean, it could also just be that the, the AI doesn't really care about time. Like the AI is maybe is content to spend, you know, 63,000 times, you know, 12 years testing.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I, yeah. I, I agree with that, Ben, completely. But that's why I was surprised it was so successful by kid three. Right. AI usually takes longer. It's also certainly
2: possible there's other bunkers we just don't know about where even more experiments are going on and they're all Ooh. networked together. We find out oh, that I all like the robots that. are one shared AI.
1: So there could certainly be more yeah. sites. So it was parallel processing. Oh, Ben, you've just solved the problem. Brilliant. So there were there were probably 100 sites and they each went through one or two kids and then the AI had learned. And this was the successful one, yeah, because the the woman from the outside must have been raised at a different site, right? Well, I will tell you this: uh,
0: if that does solve the problem, but it doesn't reduce the body count that you predicted. No, it does early. not They're reduce still, the body count. Still need to go it's through that many children. Kind of, right, it's yeah.
1: still a very, very sad, uh, disappointing way to go. But it does solve the right. problem. I think Ben Ben had something. Well, there.
2: compared to the body count of how we got into this situation in the first place, it's not so bad. <laughs>
1: That, that's true. The robot <laughs> did first wipe out roughly a billion people and then say, OK, let's go from there. Now, I want to say
0: one thing because we, we got I want to move on to the raised by robots, which is really important. How would we get raised by robots? But for me, the, the the biggest like light bulb moment for me was when I saw that artificial womb and I thought to myself, that's so advanced. There's no way that we're actually doing that or it's possible I'm wrong. <laughs> there is something. We're working on this. In the Netherlands, there are scientists that are working on these kind of artificial womb and artificial uterus system. Imagine a large, like, balloon, right? So it, what they're doing now is using it for, um, you know, prematurely born babies. And so it is essentially you can put a premature baby in one of these things and... And and it, it's just like it's just like living in inside of an artificial mother. I mean, it's it's it, there's tubes coming in and out. There's nutrients. It's all it's just like you see in the movie, except that the ball's not clear. There's even an artificial placenta, an umbilical cord. I'm gonna put a link on the website. But the, the the ideas for these have been going on since the 50s, but only recently have we had any success. And yeah, I hate when they do this stuff on animals, but they have used it on on a prematurely born lamb, and they were able to raise it for several weeks it advanced and grew inside of this. So this technology is possible. We're just on the cusp, but it's very possible, guys.
2: That lends a little bit of credence to the size of the the fetuses we see because they' they're almost at the stage of what we would now consider to be viable humans mm. because, you know, 22, 23, 24 weeks, that's generally when a baby can make it if it's born prematurely. So the you know, depending on if they're six inches long or four inches long, it's kind of hard to
0: tell from the scale in the movie. Sure. Those babies are almost viable. Wow, that is crazy. Well, and and so what's nuts? Is so when when uh, obviously in the movie when the baby's born and this robot takes it over, I thought this was kind of crazy because when we think of a pregnancy, you know, the baby's with the mother, right? Like it's you're it's hearing things even if it's through liquid. There's there's you know there's all different kinds of like human biological input that it's getting that a baby grown in 24 hours in a lab is not going to get any of that, especially by a robot. But, you know, what I loved about this is it, it, it kind of... You know, we we have human beings. There's a lot of psychology in how we identify with, uh, you know, with with humans. How ducks identify with ducks. How wolves and dogs identify with dogs. When you're raising those things, and I love hearing these stories. You now you hear the story about a human raised by wolves. I'm going to put a link on the website about um, a, bu- a a bunch of ducks, a batch of ducks. That's not the right <laughs> word, but you know, a gaggle of geese. I don't know what is it a, the you know, a Dufordorf of ducks was raised by a golden retriever, which I thought is just adorable. But some of these animals act like the animal that they aren't, right? Like a duck will start to act like a dog. A cat raised by dogs will start to act like a dog. What would a human raised by a robot act like? Would they act like a robot? Ben, you're kind of like a borderline robot. How would you (laughs) see this kind of going?
2: Yeah, I mean, humans are obviously very social creatures and their primary method, their primary behaviors come from the behaviors of who they're raised by. So, you know, we we talk about how, you know, you joke about how you're always like your parents, but that's because that's that's the behaviors and and activities that ingrained in us when our brains are at their most malleable. And so we take we take those behaviors. So, it seems to me that the girl should be far more robotic than she is already because how, what else would she know? She has nothing else to emulate. She has no other behaviors to imprint upon her. So she should be so much more like the mother robot
1: than she already is. Hmm. No, I, I felt that way a little bit too, Ben. There was a couple interesting things for me, though, Dan, that one was implied, you know, when when, when the baby's first born and when they, they bring out the brother. Um, the robot has a lot of parts that kind of glow. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first thought was warmth, right? I mean, the baby's going to want that sense of touch and warmth that a metal robot won't necessarily be giving off in an appropriate way. But something you alluded to—I'm wondering if there's also a a scent thing going on that the robot is releasing certain you know chemicals and and uh, you know pherom pheromones pha, pheromones pheromones. Thank you. I just could not get that word out. And and so so that the bonding happens, right? Um, so that's a key stage. But then. I was really thinking about where was the child getting some of these human-like characteristics and questions that they were asking. And there is a scene where she's watching basically a movie or TV on her her, her little screen. And I'm like, oh, the robot let her watch just enough TV to be a little bit human. Because we mm-hmm. know media, if nothing else, warps our minds. Well, I love I loved that idea
0: because – this is what I was getting at. In a lot of ways, you know, the way fathers bond with their children is through smell. You know, they're they're not as active in the raising process, especially early on. The mother tends to take that on from a traditional standpoint. The mother, you know, the mother's touch, the mother's smell, you know, the feeding, all that stuff. There's a lot of tactile senses that allow the imprinting to happen, and and so smell is very important in these early stages. Also. I mentioned the oxytocin cycle, guys. This is where it kicks in. The mother looking at the baby, you looking at your dog because they've hijacked that system, dang you. But how is that going to happen when you got a human baby and, and a, a lens, a camera <laughs> lens staring at you? It doesn't have the quite the same kick, you know what I mean, guys?
2: Yeah, I'm surprised that it didn't have like the cutesy robot faces that we see on some of the more human interacting industrial robots that exist in our world today. You know, if... if it's hard for us to interact well with uh, robots in, say, the working world unless they're exhibiting human-like features. So I would expect the robot to have those because that the kinds of things like looking for two eyes and looking for a face and a nose, that's not a learned behavior. That is hardwired into our brain. Um, we have a part of our brain that is hardwired mm-hmm, for detecting mm-hmm. faces and to not have a face on the robot, I don't. Un- I don't think a baby would know what it is.
1: Well, I, I did wonder what the role of the two little dots that kept reminding me of tusks on what would have been its <laughs> mouth that moved back and forth was like. I'm like, yeah. is, is this to amuse the baby, make it yeah. think I'm smiling? Um, having very binary facial expressions. Yeah, the the, the raising of the baby by this robot was probably the strangest thing of the movie for me. Well, I'll
0: tell you this. You know, we've mentioned it before, especially in our Westworld episode, Sex robots—they're really making these things realistic because they look like human beings. So you just reprogram all of the, you know, the lewd stuff. Let's get rid of that. Add some, you know, some mother programs into there. Uh, these things are pretty <laughs> human-like, or they're going to be very soon. I don't know why they didn't do that, but you know, I, you know, I want to mention California condors, guys. We, you know, zoologists and, and zookeepers cracked the code on on condors by using a puppet. To raise them, they you know they didn't want to be touched by humans, so they used a, a puppet that looks just like a condor. That's how they worked. I mean, it's very similar. It's not uh, you know, it's not the robot. You know, it's not like a heavy metal robot, but it's also not um, not not biological. It's 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 synthetic for like a muppet almost, but it works. You know, even that that midway point between both of those things kind of works
1: really well with the with the condor. Uh, yeah, and and that's why I think the robot really
2: does not <laughs> you know it, it needed a screen on its face that just showed
0: emojis that's all it needs <laughs> <laughs> no, i think that i think it's true i do want to mention one other thing here because I, I i'm going to put this article on the website but there is an environmentalist named james lovelock who kind of came up with the gaia theory but he believes that very soon ai and robots will dominate the earth and exterminate us, Um, I'm sorry, they will not exterminate us, they will keep us more like plants because humans and electronics have uh, the same upper temperature limits and that's kind of why we see the terraforming in the movie. They kind of need us, but not so that we're populating the earth and kind of dominating it, but they need us in a subservient role. I, I just thought that was very interesting, and it just came out recently. I'm going to put that on the website. You guys make your own decision on that. But I think we've you know, we've kind of nailed this. This is very interesting stuff. We've come to our errors, additions, and omissions section, things we want to talk about, but
1: we're not going to. Uh, ben, Denon, did you have anything on, on I Am Mother? I did. This was maybe a longer list than usual. First of all, why are we always running through cornfields when we're being chased? I just don't get that. That happens in every movie. Though Ben did point out in his allusion to where he is, this was a cornfield without rows. So, I mean, without places to run easily. Um, I also, we already touched, why why one eyeball for the robot? That was very weird. But more importantly, if you're an AI designing to raise kids and wipe out the human race. Why are your soldiers looking exactly the same as the mother robot you make? Very confusing to me. Um, I've already mentioned my confusion over the starkness. You're going to raise the human race. Why are you making these rows and rows of empty barracks? The poor kid sleeps alone in a space, you know, designed (laughs) for hundreds. Um, The list of these, like, things that drove me strange goes on and on, Dan. But fundamentally, number one thing Uh – your top movies clearly evolve only two normal humans and a weird third character because that's that's the theme we're going with lately <laughs> I love I love that finally you rant in
0: this section and not me normally I'm the one with this gigantic list I only got a couple things here Denon but I do want to say I don't know if you grew up in the country I did there's nothing scarier than walking around in a cornfield especially when you start hitting into August and October because uh, <laughs> the stocks are really high and you can't see out of them they are really scary Denon let me tell you that Um, You know, I I thought there was a scene where the daughter is doing this workout regime and she's got like all these things hooked up to her. I thought that was a really cool way to work out. I'm surprised that professional athletes, they must have some kind of setup there with the perfect level of oxygen, the perfect level of nutrients being injected into them. I'm surprised people don't do that. I think we can all admit also that those psych tests are really weird, <laughs> especially when they're determining whether you live or die, <laughs> very strange. And she has an AR mask that she's using when she's uh, performing surgery. There's this great article I just found, you're gonna love this, but we're thinking about fitting military dogs with AR goggles, Whatever you, however you feel about that. They're really adorable. I just gotta say that. Um, ben, did you have anything about I Am Mother?
2: Yeah. So I mean, one thing was with the uh, the woman who, when she comes in and they do the whole, you know, oh, if we get the bullet out of her, she'll be fine uh, thing. Like that. That's not how <laughs> how bodies work. Like just taking the bullet out doesn't like stop the infection. The bullet's not infecting you. It's the bacteria that came in with the bullet. Like. That doesn't fix the problem. (laughs) The other thing that I thought was really interesting is how the robot was relying on the girl to maintain both the bunker and itself. Like, we see her fixing the robot's hand, and we see her, like, fixing the one wire in the bunker that got eaten by the mouse and apparently shut down the whole bunker. Like, I gotta wonder, like... What happens, like, when the kid's a baby and, like, a wire goes out or its hand breaks? Like, is that just the end of it? Or does she let one of the murder robots in to help? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Something's going on there if there's that little redundancy and robustness in this program.
0: Well, I love that the mouse survives. It, it chews through with the main electrical conduit and then survives. Well, I, think it was,
2: I thought <laughs> it was like some sort of,
1: it wasn't
2: even a power wire. It looks like a tiny little signal wire.
1: Well, I, I do have to say, this is where, Ben, your theory of multiple bunkers comes in. If this one goes down, ah! We've got 20 others. Very true. It's all the same AI. And Dan, just so you know, at UCI, yeah. we're working on that perfect me- um, athletic workout. We've got our engineers partnering with our athletic department, partnering partnering with the medical school. So we'll have your perfect workout machine soon. I, I love it, Dennett. I think that that gives us a perfect opportunity
0: to look into super soldiers. Will UCI do it through through some kind of serum or will they just perfect the perfect athlete, allowing them to reach the peak of excellence in athletic? athletic? athletic performance I think it's going to come out of there and we will have it for you first but if we've missed anything if you want to get in touch with us we are you can find the show on twitter at f triple g -G bt pod on facebook at f triple g bt but of course you can get in touch with
1: us individually Denon where can people find you well you can find me on twitter and instagram you just switch my name around it's at Denon Michael and then if you want to find me on Facebook, you have to stick in Prof. So it's at Profton and Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find
2: me on all the major social media networks at Seepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R.
0: Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And I'm on Instagram at Glenn. So I think what we can take away from here, we've told you how the robots are going to do this, but I think the main question is, when will they do it? It seems inevitable that they will probably make an attempt on the human race, but we need to stand strong. And with the technology and the knowledge you're going to learn from this show, it will help you fight the Robocalypse. But please, if you get a hold of this information, don't cross over to the robots. You don't want to give them any of this information you want to be a superhero not a supervillain so until next time thank you for listening fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies is a glenco production and is produced by me daniel j glenn the fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies introduction was produced by daniel j glenn and paul springers with music and sound design written and performed by paul springers now if you like this show you're going to want to subscribe well how do you do that The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, F triplegbt.com that's f triplegbt.com where you will find links to everything you're looking for all the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page links to our social media are right there and if you go to the top of the page you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode There you can find the show in its entirety. You can find the links that we talked about, the in real life examples that we brought to you, including videos. And of course, we've got each episode has its own YouTube video. You can watch it there if you prefer. And if you like this show, you're gonna like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.